Well, this Labor Day Sunday, we finish up the book of Hosea as we uh, come to hear the final words of the Lord in this book, or from this book. And I hope it's been uh, a challenging book for you at times, an encouraging book at times, and everything in between. I know one of the things uh, that I, I don't think I realized prior to preaching through this book is how much Hosea is used in the New Testament. There are a lot of allusions, and sometimes we don't understand where they get it from. But last week, we just very briefly looked at the idea that, um, you know, Matthew uses, uh, you know, Hosea, you know, when he says, Out of Egypt I called my son, uh, from Hosea 11.1, as a fulfillment of prophecy. But if you read in Hosea, you know, Hosea wasn't prophesying anything. He was making a, a, a point. And, uh, you know, we can struggle with that, and I read some more about it this week that just kind of left me going, hmm, okay, and, you know, there's many things I read that I just need to chew on for months uh, on that, and I hope that would be the case with you. Matthew had a point, and I talked a little bit about that last week, and those of you who watched us online, or any of you even watch us online, if you don't have our church app, you can listen while you drive. It'll do audio only. You know, it, it's uh, pretty easy to stay on top of review. And if you get to something you don't agree or you don't like, just go ahead and skip for 15 seconds ahead, you know? And you can do that uh, with that. Uh, you know, we talked about how uh, Matthew was picking up this idea from Hosea that we all go through Egypt and have to come out of Egypt. Well, we're going to see a very similar thing uh, this morning, not with the Gospel of Matthew, but with the Apostle Peter, where he quotes Hosea 13. But they meant very different things. But I don't want to spoil it just yet, but we know from the book of Hosea that Hosea, in, in all of its entirety, is a one big old analogy, object lesson. And we need these at times to help make sense of the world. You know, especially for something that is complicated or maybe unique or we have just never heard of it before. We need something to help us understand. And scripture is filled with analogies over and over and over. In the book of Hosea, the, the major analysis, analogy or object lesson is Hosea takes for himself at the Lord's command a wife who is not going to be faithful to him. You know, that's not something we ascribe to, right, Andrew? You don't strive to marry someone who's going to cheat on you, right? Correct. Okay, good. Good, good answer. Pass. Okay? Hey, my, you're not going to marry someone who you know ahead it's going to cheat on you, right? You are or you aren't? Okay. Well, you shook your head yes. I'm like, which agreement? Or, see, they passed the test so far today. Uh, yeah, but, but Hosea did. And, and that's not something we strive to teach our kids. Okay? But, but there was an analogy, an object lesson of, of the relationship the nation of Israel has had with God. And then we read a little bit last week where God as a parent and how children go away 
And there are some authors who believe maybe one of Hosea's kids was a wayward kid. And some of you parents get that. No parent uh, has a child that I hope they exactly do the opposite of what I have taught them in life. I hope that as I instill values, they will go, no, I'm going to ignore what you say and go do my own thing. None, no parent. And, and I would even say, really, no parent ever wants that for you. Now, in, in what Jose was saying, nation of Israel, you are not that kid who went their own way and refused to accept the compassion, the grace, and the discipline of God. There's other analogies of God throughout this book and of Israel. In, in chapter 13, we read that God, an analogy of God is he will be like a lion to them, like a leopard that will lurk in their path, like a bear robbed of her cubs. Verses 7 and 8. Now, I don't know about you, but if you hear God being described in that way, it's something that is supposed to wake you up going, what has gotten God to the point that he says, I am like a cub, or I'm like a bear, a mama bear whose cubs have been taken. I will be honest with you. I have never met a bear in a while, but I know one. Okay? I know a couple things. If I ever meet a bear in the woods, I don't have to be the fastest. I just shouldn't be the slowest. Okay? And if you're with me, uh, fair game, all things are, are going to be there. I will pray for you as I put you or whatever I need to, okay? I wish I could say I would be so spiritual and I would sacrifice for your behalf. I make no promises, okay? I mean, I know where I'm going, but adrenaline will kick in. And, and there are things we do. But I know this. It wouldn't be a good encounter. And if I stole the cubs of a bear... Their adrenaline kicks in. Okay? This is why we have a saying in our world, and some of you parents, you know, don't make me become mama bear. And here, in Hosea 13, we have this God is pictured, an analogy, God is like a bear, a lion, a leopard. Those are not good analogies at times. We must be going, whoa, I wonder what has gotten him that point. And there's also analogies here in 13 and throughout the whole book of the nation of Israel. In, in chapter 13, we see that the nation of Israel will be like the morning mist, like the early dew, or like morning fog. Did anybody go and see the fog rising above the cornfield this morning? Uh, this is one time that I was awake before most of you probably were. All right? And there was quite foggy in places. In fact, as I was making my final uh, way here, uh, my, I didn't know what to do with my car. Did I put the defrost on cold or try to get it all the way to hot so I could see out? I was using the windshield wipers, though there was no rain because got to see. You know, but very quickly it is gone. Analogy. The nation of Israel, they were to see that God is saying something that they are like. They're like a smoke escaping 
through a window. It is time almost where we will go out in the morning and you can see our breath. I like that time of year. Others of you do not. But you can't follow it too far. Such is the case. And it reminds us to remind the nation of Israel these analogies that sin has consequences. Every sin has a consequence. Little, big, in between, sin will have an effect. We may like to think otherwise. We may like to think it's no big deal. Our world may say, ah, oh, just go ahead and have fun. It's, it's worth it. And here in the book of Hosea, throughout all the scripture, we are reminded that sin will result in something. Here in 13, we are reminded that sin brought about more sin. Verse 2, now they sin more and more and more and more. Sin will breed something else. I just had the conversation uh, I believe with one of my kids, uh, a conversation the past couple of days where we talked about how choices have consequences. And you can choose many things, and sometimes the world will choose your consequence. Sin will give you an idea that it's okay, but then you will reap on the back end something. Most likely not good. The first and foremost sin that Israel, and I believe all of us struggle with, can be seen uh, in verse 4 when it says, I, Hosea 13, 4, I have been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. But their sin was they forgot who God was. They failed to acknowledge and know Him. They stopped striving. They went on their own way. It talks about them asking for a king, and so He gave them a king. But then it, it kind of goes on to say, you know, there's this idea here in 13 to some extent uh, you know, in verse 11, I think, uh, you know, God is saying, I'm going to give you a new king, and I'm going to choose this king now, and it's not going to be a pretty one. This new king, I think, of verse 11, I know what the NIV says, it talks about, you know, something else. It, it, I think what it says, God is saying, in my anger, I'm giving you a new king, and it's the king of Assyria. See, Israel thought Assyria was going to save them. Because Egypt and Assyria were foes. And they, they wanted safety and security of what they knew. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you that king. You will get Assyria as your king. You've chosen, I choose again. They get what they want. And it probably... Uh, if, you know, if my thinking is correct, on uh, Hosea 13 and 14, within another 10 to 15 years, the nation of Israel ceases to exist as they knew it. They're gone. They got themselves what they wanted. 
one of the other lessons I try to teach my kids, and I know you guys try to help them learn this, is be careful what you ask for. You may just get what you've been asking for. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. But if we are not careful, we will get what we ask for. Scripture over and over again reminds us of this. If there's another analogy here that I think is so very important, especially as we head into this time of communion, I'm, I'm guessing most of you didn't think that Hosea 13 and 14 had much to say about communion. And, and you would be right maybe on the surface, but I think there's a whole lot more here as we finish this book that reminds us of communion. And it's fitting that we end the book with communion. He says this in 13. Pains of a woman and childbirth come to him, but he is a child without wisdom. Or this idea of the nation of Israel needed to be born. They needed a second birth, but they weren't willing to come out of the womb. Now, in our, if we're not careful, in our modern thinking, we think nothing of this. Nothing of the idea of a baby helping the process. To be born. But in the ancient world, and actually not so not so long ago, childbirth was a very, very dangerous thing. It was very tricky. In fact, in lots of parts of the world, giving, giving birth to a child puts a mother's life in grave danger. We don't think much about it. We have C-sections. We have ultrasounds. We have all this, but I will tell you, there are many people in our own nation where because of the availability of healthcare or lack thereof can truly be permanently scarred because of job. And we as pro-life people need to be thinking about how we're going to care for all of us and the, the health of, of women during that phase. But in those points, they had no such thing as if the baby didn't want to come out, there was no doctor they called to say, hey, let's do a C-section. Now, they tried many of things, but there, there were many of occasions where both lives could be lost because the baby just would not cooperate in the process. Maybe the baby was breached. Maybe the baby just wouldn't come down now. They had very little they could do. Or if they did try to cut open the line of no instances, there was no such thing as a very sanitary way of doing that in those days. This is a, the fact that they, as a, as a child, was unwilling to allow the the birth process to be brought to culmination was a death statement. They needed a second birth. You and I need 
second birth. Jesus brings the analogy to its completion to some extent. When, when he says this in John chapter 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. A second birth. Now I don't think Jesus was quoting Hosea here, but I think I think Jesus could have gone here. He's talking with someone who was learned in the nation of Israel. It's Nicodemus. And I think Nicodemus says the same thing that you and I might say. How can someone be born when they are old? How can this happen? Surely we cannot just go back inside our mothers and come back out and born again. Can any of you mothers imagine that? Okay, as a friend, heaven forbid, no way, Jose. I mean, there, uh, you know, Sue, Alan's bigger than you are now. I, I believe it, but he's bigger still. I wouldn't wish that upon Sue for the life of her, you know. I like it too much, Sue, to wish Calvin's been had that journey again, you know. But, you know, and some of us in this world will go, well, what do you mean I have to have a second birth? Jesus wasn't talking another physical birth. In the nation of Israel here, he wasn't talking in Hosea another literal second birth. He had already brought them out as a nation. He had already, they had already kind of walked through the path of maturity per se. But what he is saying here is if you really want to understand the things of God, you've got to be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. He says in just a few verses later when he says so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. How can this happen? Is the next question of Nicodemus. This should be the next question here. It should be the question of Hosea. In fact, fortunately, Hosea goes on to kind of answer some of that question in verse 14. But before then, we, we need to be reminded that he goes on and says, uh, you know, that you need to be born, and then he says things of, where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Now, in the NIV, it's a question mark, but I think what is really being said here, I, I need to disagree with the interpretation. Now, every translation of Scripture is an interpretation word, okay? They've got to make decisions based on lots of things. And sometimes they get better than others. And, and Hebrew is hard because sometimes the way it's put together doesn't make sense in English. Or I should say this, English is hard, and some of the ways that we try to speak and write in English doesn't make sense in any other language. And, and, and because um, this isn't a bad thing, but you know, we don't have the actual first time manuscript of Hosea, okay? We don't have the actual penmanship of Hosea. We don't have the, uh, the actual very first uh, scroll that John wrote, the Gospel of John on. Now, we're within a in a very, very short period of time. And there's great confidence in what we do have as being accurate. But there's always a work here. I think a little bit of what's going on, and there are some others that I agree with, 
on this word. What is being said here is this idea of the prayer that God is praying here is death. Why haven't you shown up yet? Plagues, why haven't you come yet? The, the destruction is certain because they refuse the second birth consequences and God must deal with sin. And he's saying, death, plagues, go ahead and do your work. Because I do not have compassion on them like that. They fail to see the wisdom of things. And yet, we have 14. Where, once again, Hosea says, at any point in time, you want the second birth. Church, anytime we need a second birth or a third birth, or we need to resubmit to the Holy Spirit, we can read these. Return, O church. In those days, it was return, Israel, the people of God, the church of God's people today, I believe. The Lord your God, return to him. Your sins have been and will be your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Pray this prayer of repentance. And maybe we need to pray this prayer of repentance as, as a church. And I'll paraphrase it to some extent into our current context. Forgive us, O Lord, of our sins. Receive us graciously. Or may your grace fall upon us that we may offer the fruits of our lips, the sacrifice of praise. For our political leaders cannot save us. War cannot save us. We will never again say, look at what I've done in the gods of money and houses and jobs I've made for us. For in you, O oh Lord, we realize we need a good father. And if we can pray a prayer like this, the words that come out, I will heal their weariness. I will love them graciously and freely. In my anger, I will turn away. And I will be like the Jew. And what he's saying here in this analogy is, I'm going to be the one that waters the plants again and again and again. Very much imagery from the Garden of Eden when there was no rain. There was dew of a morning. And they will be like a lily. They will be like the cedars of Lebanon. They will know of the goodness of God's covenants again and again. For God will answer. See, if we want a rebirth, it starts with repentance. Of returning back to God. Everyone needs repentance. I've been praying this week a very, what I would call a dangerous prayer for myself. I don't pray this prayer typically for anyone else. But I just ask myself the question, what do I need to repent of? dangerous question in prayer because the Lord will respond. Almost for sure. The question is, do we want to hear it? What do we need to repent for? 
down on all the ways. We, as God's people, need to continue to be reminded that repentance is needed again and again and again because it reminds us that there is a standard outside of us and that sin has consequences. And just because we are God's people does not mean we do not sin. In fact, it was never the goal of the Old Testament is that they would be a perfect people. They would just be the light to the world to show who God is and the fact there is forgiveness of sins. What do you and I need to repent of? Because repentance will always produce good fruit. Just as sin has consequences, repentance has consequences. And it's good stuff. What do we, as American Christians, need to repent so there is a good fruit that comes out? So the next generation can know who the Lord is. A little bit easier than if we don't. See, there would come another nation of Israel. There would be another generation in the Israel nation that would come up. They had it a little harder because the previous generation did not repent of their sins and did not tell them of the goodness of God. May we not be a generation of Christians that, that do not repent and go upon our own way so that the next generation has to try to figure it out a little harder. That's why starting next week, we will go through the letters to the churches of Revelation. Starting with, uh, fitting enough, uh, the church in Ephesus. You know, that we, their thing was to come back, you know, come back to your primary love. Where have we gone? For all that sin and fall short of God's glory. We all need repentance. But when we repent, Jesus transforms all things. I said Paul quoted Hosea. He quoted Hosea, I think, a different way than what Hosea would. And some of you, the words may have come to mind of what uh, Paul had quoted of Hosea, but it's found in chapter 15 where he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Or where, O death, is that destruction? Where, O death, is your sting? He pulls the words of Hosea that was a pronouncement of judgment on the nation, a pronouncement of you would not do the things the way the Lord had wanted. And Paul says, Here's the thing. I can quote those words, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is law. But thanks be to God that he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And together we ought to say, Amen. Amen. That is this table. A reminder, when we repent, when we come to Christ and Christ alone, he will freely say, Yes. I forgive all sins. Yes, I can transform all things. 
saying that you will submit and repent again and again. And with that, we, unlike the nation of Israel, will receive a second birth. We, unlike the nation of Israel, can look at death and say, you have no power over You can look at, at, the, at uh, you know, the sting of things and go, ooh, that hurts. But I've got a line that I'll take care of. Jesus, the line of truth. Doesn't mean, though, we don't play, as I like to say, travel. And we tend to death. It doesn't mean I go find some woods that have been known to have bears and go and try to steal a cub from Mama Bear. If I do that and I die, I don't think I'm going to have anything to say to Jesus. I mean, he may say to you, why were you so dumb? Keep <laughs> your head, use it. You know? And if I dare say, well, I thought you would save me, I think you would say, I don't save people from their own consequences of their own actions all over. We have to look at the you know, that's the only thing they quote me on. I can guarantee that. You know. But we can look at this and go, Jesus transforms all things. Where in the Old Testament, this this the quote, where of death are your plans, where or grave is your destruction? There was no redemption there. Jesus, because of his cross, because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that allows us to say, death no longer has the final word. That is this table. That is what we celebrate and remember at this time. But let me say this as we move towards this time of